0: Oh, that's good that is very good i'm so glad you're here today dad's happy father's day to you and i, I hope and pray it's a, a great day for you it's so good to have our students back from camp uh robert y'all had a good week at camp as well so that's that's great everybody's gone to camp a couple of weeks we have our kids camp and then we have pre-teen camp and then we have mission trips and the summer is in full swing, and, and, the, and it's not even the first day of summer, right, until tomorrow? So it's just hot. Uh, so you that moved here during the COVID break, this is the real summers around here, that's for sure. I want to pray. I, I, I just believe God wants to do, uh, every time we gather, just when His people gather, I just believe He wants to do, A great work. And and, uh, I heard a statement the other day. I read it in a book I'm reading. And it said this. Today, medical industry adds years to your life. But only Jesus adds life to your years. And, uh, you know, you can live a long time and still not experience the life-changing transformation of Jesus Christ. And so, I I just really believe that God wants to do something. And uh, so, would you just pray with me? Father, we come today not to have our ears tickled, not to uh, just sing songs and not just feel good, but Lord, we came today with high expectations of the King of all kings, the King of the universe, that we just got to come together and to worship you. So, Lord, the question is not, are we pleased today, but are you pleased? And, God, we want to please your heart. And, Lord, as we open your word now, I pray that you would just speak to us deep, Father, that you would answer those doubts that we have, that you would bring comfort where we need comforted. But Lord, you will disturb where we need to be disturbed. And so Lord, we trust you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Microsoft did a, um, a survey or actually a study and they were studying the attention span of the average individual. And initially when they did the study, it was 12 seconds was the attention span of the normal person. 12 seconds. They did it again, and it's now down to 8 seconds. So every 8 seconds, I have to reboot to try to keep your attention today. And uh, But that's just the way our, our day is. You know, we don't want to spend time to watch a whole video. We want to TikTok it where it's down to seconds and we want our food even before we order it i think that's the goal of amazon to have something at your house before you know you want it because they get it there so fast and and that's just the day we live in we want it instantaneous we want it now we want to microwave it we just want we want to purchase it and we have it we want the latest greatest this this is just our culture today. We're the tyranny of the urgent. Whatever is screaming at us right now, that's what we want. And uh, what I love about the kids going to camp is they don't love it necessarily because it, it has to take root by Wednesday. It's just getting off of the stimulus of social media, stimulus of phones for a little bit to try to st- calm, calm down. But when it comes to our growth as followers of Jesus, We want it automatic. Man, I I did everything you tell me to do. I I come worship. I was baptized. I I come to a Bible fellowship. I do these things. We want it instantaneous to be super Christian all of a sudden. I want you to know it takes time. It's going to take a lifetime. But yet you take the steps today to set things in motion for you to be able to experience fully all that God has for you. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. And in Philippians chapter 3, last week we dealt with the first part of it. Today we're going to pick it up in verse 12. And we're calling this message today, The One Thing. The One Thing. What is your one thing that your life revolves around and that you're pursuing? So Philippians chapter 3, it will be on the screen as well. Verse 4, I'm going to read through verse 16, and then in a minute we'll pick up verse 17. This is what it says. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Now, just so if you weren't here last week. Paul's complete desire is to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering so that he might conform to Him even in His death so that he might attain to the resurrection of the dead. That's what he... His whole life is knowing. I want to know Christ. So that's what he said. I, I haven't already obtained this. I, I am a, a man in process uh, because Christ Jesus had made me His own. Verse 13. Brothers... to what we have attained. Let me let me stop there uh, just a moment. Paul says, "I'm not I'm not perfect yet." Now, the word "perfect" here doesn't mean without blemish. It means complete. It means whole. If you you uh, he is pursuing that which he is that which he was created for, and that will be his completeness. But it's going to be simple. The points today. And I encourage you to jot down notes because um, the shortest pencil is better than the longest memory. And maybe your attention span will increase a little bit. But point number one is just simply write down changing, changing. And I believe, and what Paul stresses here, is that believers in Jesus Christ ought to always be growing and progressing. Progressing. There's a change that is taking place. Um, and Paul admits it. Not that I'm there yet, but I press on. I press on for it. I, I, I'm not there yet. And here's the deal. Paul had to recognize where he was before he could go to where he was going. Now, here's the deal. We, we want to say, what's the, how many miles is it to Dallas? How many miles is it to, Uh, San Antonio, how many miles is it to New York City? And so we start figuring out how many miles it is. But before you can figure out how many miles it is, you need to know where you are. So we're in Round Rock, Texas. So how far is it from Round Rock, Texas to Dallas? How far is it from Round Rock, Texas to New York City? And so you've got to admit where you are. And that's what Paul is doing. Not that I have obtained this. I am not complete yet. I'm just a person in process. We're all in process. But are we willing to look at where we are today to see where we are going and to see where God is leading us? And can we turn around and see that we have come so far? And so here's my question for you today. Have you progressed in your faith? I mean, have you progressed beyond uh, a childhood decision to follow Christ? Have you progressed beyond a, another time when you rededicated your life? Have you progressed on in your walk with Jesus Christ? Now, when uh, Michael and Raquel were up here with Emmy Jane, she's, she's little. She is right there in Dad's arms. Everything's perfect. That's where she's supposed to be. Five years from now or ten years from now, let's stretch it on out, If she is still that small and just fits into her dad's arms, I'm gonna, I don't even have to step out here. I'm gonna say something's wrong. Because she has not progressed, she has not grown, she has not developed the way a human body is to develop. And it's that way spiritually. We, uh, we make a commitment to Christ and we, whatever age we were, and we, we do what the church says we need to do. We walk an aisle or baptize or whatever we do. But the question is, are you progressing on? You see, that is but the starting, starting point. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, anyone who is in Christ is what? A new creation. That means new creation is going to grow. So my question for each of us today is, how's your growth? How's your process? Are you growing? And I thought of it this way, because to grow, you have to look at where you are, but sometimes we get stagnant. Nothing is worse than stagnant water, right? I mean, you can get uh, some good tadpoles out of it or whatever, but stagnant water is, is just terrible, and you want it free and flowing. But what causes a spiritual life to become stagnant? Well, I thought about some things. I thought about, somebody may say, well, it's my environment. My environment is toxic. I'm the only Christian in my class. I'm the only Christian in my family. I'm the only Christian at my workplace. And so we, we say our environment is toxic. I just can't grow in that environment. Here, here's the second one. Lack of the fundamentals. I don't know how to read the Word. I don't know how to pray. I don't know about community. I don't know about worship. I don't know about these things. So because I lack the skills, I, I become stagnant in my faith. Uh, a third one is this, and this is huge, distractions. So many of us are uh, spiritually ADD. We just are bouncing off the wall. We're grabbing for the, the latest, greatest, whatever. And the distractions, there's an enemy that's going to make sure you're distracted. Whether you're distracted from your work uh, or your uh, social media or whatever, you're just distracted. And so you're not single focused. You don't have that one thing in your life. So you're pursuing everything so there's no growth taking place and you stagnate in your faith. Here, here's a fourth one. Is just a lack of spiritual appetite. If you, if you have no spiritual appetite, you're not gonna pursue Christ. You you are not going to pursue after Him if you do not have a hunger. And Jesus even said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be the satisfied ones. It's not those who just live life out. And, and we hunger and thirst after many things, but do we hunger and thirst after Christ? And so we, we stagnate because we have no hunger and thirst. Here's, here's my thought, because I can look at my own life. I can look at my environment. I can look at, at not knowing the fundamentals. I can look at each of those, each of those four things that I gave. You know what those are? They're excuses. They're excuses for not growing spiritually. That's what they are. We can blame it on anything. We can blame it on our culture. We can blame it on the world. We can blame it on anything. I tell you, they're excuses. And the problem is not The environment and the culture, the problem is our hearts. Our hearts have a problem. In fact, in Jeremiah, I'm going to turn to it right quick. Jeremiah chapter 17, Jeremiah the prophet wrote this. He said, "...the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind, to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds." So I'm going to challenge you, as you look at this change that ought to be happening in your life, have you made excuses? Have we made excuses? Have, have we decided, oh, the church didn't feed me, or, uh, you know, the worship's not good enough, the preaching's not good enough, you know, those people don't like me in my small group, whatever. There are a thousand excuses for people to stagnate spiritually. And I want to challenge you to examine your heart today. Number two is this. Write down the word compelling. Compelling means to desire something greatly. There's something that pushes you on. And so what Paul says here is that believers' lives should be compelled to pursue the prize. That one thing. To pursue that one thing. And Paul uses some great vocabulary in here that I want to just address a little bit. First of all, he says, I press on. Press on is not a word we use very often, but it's it's this. I pursue, not a moving target, but I pursue a fixed object. In other words, he says, I press on to the prize. I press on to this completeness, this knowing Jesus Christ. I pursue that. I press on. It's a fixed thing. In other words, it's not... That God is over here one day, and so I'm going that direction. God is over here another day, I'm going that direction. No, He's fixed, and we're moving towards Him. And uh let, let, let me give you a thought right quick. You want to know how you make your marriage strong? A husband and a wife, both pursuing the prize, you automatically become closer together. So I just throw that out to you. So... So it's a fix. I'm headed for this fixed thing. And so the he presses on. He pursues. And the picture is of the old Olympic Games or Isthmus Games, where instead of running for medals, they ran for crowns like laurel leaves. And they would put them on a pillar. And what the runners would do is they would fix their gaze upon that crown, and that's where they're headed for. And hear this. He uses terminology here. That he is forgetting what is behind and he is pressing on to what is ahead. And forgetting what is behind, here's the deal. He's not running, looking at the other runners. He's pursuing the prize. Man, we are terrible in our culture of comparison mentality. I compare myself to you. I compare my Facebook page to your Facebook page. I, uh, I compare your Instagram to my Instagram. I compare your kids to my kids. We compare all this stuff and we're looking all around us instead of pursuing the prize. And that's what we're called to do. But yet we can be so distracted. And so Paul is saying, listen, I forget, I forget what is behind. I am pressing on. It doesn't mean that we don't care for people. That's not what he's saying. He's saying as long as we're alive though, we are pursuing this prize and, and we are compelled to pursue him. It's not an energy we have to work up, but we keep, uh, moving. And then he said this, I, I stretch. There's a picture he gives of stretching and agonizing. If you've ever seen that hundred meter uh, dash, which is considered the fastest people in the world, fastest men in the world, who are running that hundred-meter dash. You, you watch them. You watch them. They slow it down so you can watch every muscle move. But when they come to that tape, they're stretching with all that is in them to to try to get ahead and to uh, and to win the race. And that's what Paul is using as a picture here. I stress, I, I stretch, I agonize. And uh, I think that sometimes we get distracted from other things. I was reminded of something this week when uh, I was studying for this message. Uh, I was fortunate enough to sense a call to ministry as a teenager. And so that's why I always uh, don't shortcut any teenager in what God is doing in their life. And so uh, for me, it was real... Uh, I knew God I had his hand on my life, and we can talk about later how I knew that, but I knew it, and so I talked to my uh, mom, talked to my parents, and uh, I'm going to Baylor on a, a religious, uh, they all they had it back in those days, it's become so diverse, but they had a religion degree, so I'm throwing myself into that, and... Uh, And as I'm in the midst of my studies, I mean, I'm very focused. My track is very limited in in where it's going. And then I'm going to eventually go to seminary. But I remember uh, in the midst of my college, as I'm studying, my mom takes me aside and she says this. Shouldn't you take some other things that you could fall back on? Now, she was she was just loving me. I mean, she's probably thinking, man, he's not going to make any money. He's going to, he's going to lead his, his kids and his family. Uh, you know, they will be impoverished. They're going to have to ask people for money and this kind of stuff. I, I know what she's thinking in her head. But yet, sometimes we can get distracted by people saying, should you fall back on something? What if this Jesus stuff isn't real? Well, you know, it's good for a season in your life, but what if it's not real? Listen, as believers in Jesus Christ, it's either everything or nothing. And so we have to pursue after Him. And that's what Paul is saying here, is that He said, I forget what is behind and I press on towards the prize, my fulfillment. I don't think the prize He's talking about is heaven. Here. I think the prize is that full contentment on why I was created the way I was created. I think so often we're, we're so busy thinking about heaven. And heaven, yes, Paul even thought about heaven. We talked about that in the letter. But yet, we got to realize the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life to the fullest. And so it's that prize of living life to the fullest for Jesus alone. He's the prize that I pursue after. Now let's pick it up in verse 17 through the end of the chapter. It says this, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory and their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Let's stop. i got two more points. The next one is this. Write down the word copying. C-O-P-Y-I-N-G. Copying. Uh, believers should live lives worth copying. Uh, it seems like Paul is a little arrogant here. He says, imitate me. And then he says, imitate others that model my imitation. And, and we're thinking, okay, Paul has already said he's not there yet, so he's in progress. He, he's in the process of becoming what God is developing him to be, and now he's here saying that we are to imitate him. He, I don't think he's saying, imitate my every action, but you imitate the hunger. You imitate the straining. You imitate the pressing on for the prize that is there. You copy. I, I think, believer, even though we're at different stages in our spiritual maturity, we must live it out daily so that others can see. And if you are struggling in this area, here's my coaching. Find someone who you know is growing in their faith and begin to model them. I guarantee you, you hang around them enough, you'll start to develop that hunger. And, and so find that person. And you be that person for somebody else that they can model and copy you. Live a life that's worth imitating. But there's a major problem today. Here it is. I wrote it in bold letters. Many believers are giving a terrible example to follow. We live in a culture where people will claim Christ, but they are not living, leaving a A good example, there's worldliness, there's consumerism, there's whining, there's grumbling, there's lack of unity. And the world looks at that and says, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And so we're called to be different. We're called to copy people like Paul, but we're called to be an example for others. Dads, let me talk to you a minute. You, you you knew I wouldn't get out of Father's Day without talking to you. I want to challenge you dads today. Dads, three things. First of all, you must see ahead the pitfalls for your family. Dads, you're called. As protective agent, you need to see those pitfalls for your family that are coming. Secondly, dads, you are called to set the spiritual tone for your family. It's easy to pass it off to your wife. And many men have seen the spiritual life as passive instead of uh, aggressive. We like aggressive things. I like aggressive things. I, I like things that call me to action. That's why I love following Jesus, because it's not a passive thing. It's a very aggressive thing. But we must set the tone, men, for our homes. And then thirdly, you must be the model of spiritual growth and maturity for your family. Men, you must be the spiritual tone and example of spiritual growth and maturity for your family. And I know, I know you struggle like I do. Well, what if I come up short? What, what if I'm not that example to follow? What if I'm not setting the tone for my family? What if I'm not seeing the pitfalls that are ahead of me? Well, I've thought about that. First of all, repent. Just repent. Repent. Sometimes we, we get it wrong. Repent just change the direction you're going. I don't care where you are in your spiritual growth right now you can repent and let's get it all uh, that altered uh, straightened out second of all be transparent and authentic with your with your wife and kids be transparent be willing to sit down with your kids and say listen I have not been the spiritual leader I need to be and I just want to ask you guys forgiveness and I want you to ask you to pray for me as I step into this. And I know you think, well, my kids will run on me if I do that. No, they won't. They, they will admire that greatly. Thirdly, forget the past and go forward. I know the tendency, because the enemy is whispering in our ears, men, all the time. You're not worth it. You've tried this before. You've failed. You're a good breadwinner. I mean you bring home the bacon surely you don't not not more is expected of you and these lies just get whispered in our ears and some of them are truth you know look at your thought life it's just, yeah I mean yeah and these they come but we need to like Paul it I'm forgetting what is behind I'm not looking at the other runners right now I'm putting my eyes on the prize and man you're called to do that and then fourth thing is this. Ask yourself this question. If my family were asked what my one thing is, what would they say? I mean, that one thing that you pursue, that one thing that Paul said. No, no distraction. Forget the past. It's the one thing. If your family were asked what's your one thing, what would they say? Would they say, self would they say money would they say pleasure would they say family a job would they say jesus church i don't know what they would say but you just think what would my family say is my one thing um and and hear their answer i thought about something else the greatest father advice I've probably shared this a thousand times in the thousand years I've been here but but the greatest teaching I ever had on fathering was this I think it was about 35 when I first heard it is I need to be at that age the way I would want my kids to be at that age 62 now I want to live the life as a 62 year old the way that I hope my kids will be living and following Jesus as 62 year olds. Whether you're 35, whether you're 40, whether you're, uh, you know, you're expecting, James and Emily are expecting their first. You, you want to be, the, cause the thing you can control is you. Your kids, listen, I, I, I love teenagers to death. But you that parent teenagers realize you're the dumbest you're ever going to be. Because your kids will remind you how dumb you are. We've lived through it. But you know, you're not going to change and they're going to be 25 someday and you're brilliant. Especially when they have their first kid. You're brilliant. But what I'm saying is, is live your life as you would want them to live when they're your age. Fourth and last point. Write down citizenship. Citizenship. Believers should represent their citizenship. Notice what he said there at the, at the end of the chapter. He says, He said, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, the people in Philippi understood this because they were they were located thousands of miles away from Rome, the city. But Rome had expanded by its uh, dominance for so many such a landmass that they would pick certain cities, and Philippi was one of those cities that they would make mini-Romes, the architecture, the culture, the worship, everything would be like mini-Rome there. And citizenship, uh, remember I told you that over 60% of the people were slaves. They weren't citizens. And uh, eventually, if somebody won their citizenship, maybe through the military or some other reason, it was cherished because that citizenship was there. And so what what happened is, is they would become mini-Rome. Now, the people understood that. So when Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven, what he is saying is, listen, just like you're not in Rome, but you're living a mini-Rome, just because you're not in heaven, you need to bring heaven to earth and you need to be living as a follower of Jesus Christ right here. And that's what we're called to do. So as followers of Jesus... We are to live, yes we live here, but yet we belong to another place and we live a different kind of life. And that's what we're called to do. Now, I know the the enemy, the world and the culture and the flesh just try to s- s- suck us in. And what happens is, is that we get our eyes off of where our true destination is. And listen... We are to, as it says in the Scriptures, and Paul says it even again in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says that we're to come out from them and be separate. It, and he's going to say, other words, the Scriptures will teach us, yes, you need to love on your neighbor. Yes, you need to take care of them. But yet, you need to be called out and live separate, different kinds of life. Not odd for God, but just different. We need to be focused on the prize that is before us. That's what we're called to do, and and Paul brings that out. One last thing out of Jeremiah, because I'm reading Jeremiah right now, Jeremiah chapter 29, and all of us have probably a coffee cup with. I know the plans I have for you. Plans. I don't. That sounded terrible the way I just said that, <laughs> but but here's the deal. Because we take it out of context. We really do. What happens is, is these people were in exile in Babylon. They were away from their homeland. And they, and the Lord has given a prophecy to them. And He tells them this build, plant your vineyards. Marry. Go on with life. While you're there in this foreign land. Because I'm going to come and I'm going to bring you back. To your land, and I have a promise for you. It's going to be a promise to prosper. It's not just because you graduated high school; you're going to prosper, or graduate college. I know the plans I have for you. Okay, I need to get back on target because there are several things in the scriptures that we made T-shirts and coffee mugs out of. That remember, Princess Bride. I don't think that means what you're thinking. But we're, we're called to live separate lives. But we are called to live lives here and make impact as long as we're here. We are called to love our neighbors. We are called to serve the least of these. We are called to share His glory with a lost world. We must be different because our citizenship in heaven. Man, let me speak to you just one thing. I, I'm wrapping this up. Men, we live in a culture, and I'm, I'm a man, so I can speak to this. I'm not confused that I'm a man. I'm not just acting like a man today. I am a man. And here's the deal, men: we live in a day where men are confused. They're totally confused. We we've lost our identity. We've let the media dictate who we are, and you watch movies and you watch TVs today, and and there's no there's no men to model. I mean, we look at this and they've just emasculated men. They've just chopped our legs off because uh, what we see in culture, and we've lost our identity. So where do men go for identity? We get our identity right, and what we do, you put a bunch of men together. The first question is after What's your name? Well, we may even get to the name. Uh, it's what do you do? What do you do? Because we measure success in what we do and not who we are. And we need to understand that God loves us and he created us as men. Some are aggressive. Some are more passive. Some are, are, have those outgoing rough tendencies. Some are, are a little laid back in that area. But listen, we're all men. And we are confused in our day. And I want you to know, like David said to Solomon before David died, he said, Solomon, be the man. Be the man. And we, as men, need to be the men that he has called us to be. And I I just encourage you men today, because we struggle. We struggle in our identity. We struggle in all these things, but I'm telling you, God cares for you, and He created you, and He wants to use you, men. And so here's what I want to do. I want to ask all the the males in the room to stand. All the males. Just because you're not a dad, that's fine. I want all the males to stand. You know, at Mother's Day, I commissioned ladies because so often ladies feel like what they may do is secondary, and it's not that way at all. And men, I just want to take a moment to commission you, if you'll allow me, today. Men, I just pray God's anointing on you. That you will know who you are. That there will not be confusion that you're not measured by what you do. Even though what you do is very healthy and good, you're not measured by what you do. You're measured by whose you are. And you belong to the King of all kings, and He has set you apart, and He wants to use you. And I think what Paul is saying today, he's calling you out, he's setting you apart for His kingdom work. Now, some of you are are electricians and plumbers, and some of you are bankers, and some of you are computer people. I want you to know that's just your disguise. You're a missionary for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I just want to bless you and commission you today.